Well, good morning, girls and boys. We're turning to Jonah, the final verses of this little book. This is our last study in the will of the Lord in this little book. This is study 27. Not so many times we have turned and looked at the book of Jonah. We began our study way back in April, halfway through the last term. And the Lord has led us in our study, I do believe. I've already told you that the next subject for studying in the assembly that I'm going to be taking is very simply the questions that the Lord Jesus asked. Many times when the Lord Jesus encountered people, he asked them a question. It was always a very important question, and what we would call a pointed question. So, we're going to be looking at some of those, and maybe that'll get us to the end of the year, if the Lord spares us all. But now let's just look at the concluding verses. We did look at these on Tuesday past, but I want to just go over them again, because perhaps you're a wee bit puzzled about this gourd that grew up, the worm that killed it, then the wind that blew, and Jonah fainted in the heat, and all that happened. Maybe that has left you a little puzzled about, what does it all mean? And I don't want you to be puzzled, I want you to understand just what it is God is teaching us here. Because let me tell you, boys and girls, it's commonly believed out there in the world that the Bible is not a book you can understand. It's a mystery. But that's nonsense. The Bible is meant to be understood. God wants us to understand what the Bible says. And if you look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, even those who didn't like him, indeed hated him, and were opposed to what he was saying, they had no difficulty understanding him. They had no difficulty understanding him. The arrows went to their heart. Now the heart of man is such that we do struggle to understand spiritual things. You see, our mind, our thoughts, they run along the ground. They're very low. They're linked to the earth. Therefore, when someone starts talking about heavenly things, there's a bit of a struggle for us to get our minds lifted up to think about heavenly things. But that's that's not the fault of God's word. That's the fault of our poor, depraved, sinful minds. We can ask the Lord when we come to his word, and we should ask the Lord when we come to his word, Lord, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. That's a prayer that has been prayed a million, million times by God's people. And it indicates to us that really our eyes are shut to spiritual matters. That's why when men came into the presence of the Lord Jesus, they didn't see him for who he was. Around the cross there were those haters of the gospel who mocked the Savior as he was nailed there and they said, If thou be the Son of God. They didn't see him as the Son of God. And yet one of the thieves nailed on a cross beside the Savior. He turned to him and he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He saw him. His eyes weren't shut by the grace of God. Light had shone into his heart, and he saw the Lord. 
For when we come to the Bible, we should pray that the Lord would open our eyes to the wondrous truth that is here. And I hope that there will be an opening of your understanding as we look at these verses. Let's read them from from verse 6 of this chapter 4. Verse 6, and we're going to listen as I read. And the Lord prepared a gourd. I've explained that that is a reference to a tree that the Lord caused to grow up to give shelter from the sun to Jonah. And made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted. And he wished himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Jonah still in a defiant frame of mind. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not laboured, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. You had great concern and pity for this plant, that you had nothing to do with the producing of, and it only lasted a short time, yet you had great pity for it and wished the worm hadn't killed it. Then God drives home the truth. Verse 11. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? Six score thousand. How many is that? A score is twenty. Six twenties is how many? A hundred and twenty? And that's a hundred and twenty thousand. A hundred and twenty thousand. I'm not sure of the population of Belfast. And this was a hundred and twenty thousand children. Children so young, they don't know their right hand from their left. So they were very young children. Now where you get all those children, you get mommies and daddies and uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters and grannies and grandas and all the rest of it. So there must have been in the city an awful lot more than 120,000. And God says, you're all worked up and sad and sorrowful for a plant that you had nothing to do with. When it died, it vexed you. Yet you're annoyed at me for sparing a city with all those people in it. There's something wrong with your thinking, Jonah. That's what the Lord say. And I just want us to cover the verses again and what we find in them in order to make sure that you grasp the message of God to this man, Jonah. There's a series of what we might call strange events here. They're not very important events in many ways. Nobody else knew anything about them but Jonah. A little plant grows up, gives him some shelter. The little worm comes and kills it, and it withers, and he's no more shelter. And he's under the fierce heat of the sun and the scorching wind that's coming out of the desert. And he faints. And he's in misery. But it's all to bring home to his heart how wrong he was to be all worked up and sad over a little plant that a worm killed. 
yet not in the least concerned regarding the multitude of people in Nineveh that he would have rather seen God destroy. And God's seeking tenderly, gently, to bring home this lesson to him. Now notice, first of all, God sent a worm to destroy the tree or gourd that he had caused to grow up to offer shade from the sun for Jonah. So there was the tree, and Jonah was basking under the shadow of it. Suddenly, unseen by him, a little worm began to work. It was soon evident that there was a little worm working in the tree withered. And Jonah was once more sitting in the boiling hot sun. Listen, boys and girls, and listen to me well. God can take away all our comforts in order to teach us that we're wrong. That's what he is teaching Jonah. Jonah, your heart's wrong. Your attitude's wrong. Your thinking is wrong. And he removed the shadow that was sheltering him and in which he was enjoying himself. He just took it away from him. And he was suddenly surrounded by the searing heat of the sun. God can take away our comforts. I've seen it in my lifetime. I've experienced it in my lifetime. God can just remove from your life everything that has been making you happy in order to get your attention and bring home to you that there's sin in your heart. This is what God can do. This is what God can do. And I say he can do an awful lot more. But in his kindness, he deals with us in a fashion that doesn't result in us being destroyed. Jonah might have come into some misery and some pain, as it were, as a result of losing his shelter. But God didn't cut him off. He wanted to teach Jonah. And he did it tenderly. Then again, it says, God prepared a hot wind to blow upon Jonah. As I have said, this would have blown from the desert. And that being so, it would have been a very, very hot Wind, indeed, as an east wind blowing from the east, a hot region. So suddenly, poor old Jonah was not only without shade and shelter, but there now was this scorching hot wind blowing. To such a degree, he fainted. He got so hot that he fainted. Listen, boys and girls, we forget, we ignore. Oftentimes we're utterly ignorant of the fact that if it were not for the shelter that God provides for us, life would be most miserable indeed. Here was this wind, and suddenly without the shelter that the tree that God caused to grow up, Jonah was in total distress, and he fainted. We sang this morning a psalm that's well known to us, and to which we have turned on many, many occasions just to remind ourselves of the mercy of God, Psalm 124, and the second version says this, Now Israel may say, and that truly, if the Lord had not our cause maintained, if that the Lord had not our right sustained, when cruel men who us desired to slay rose up in wrath to make of us their prey. Then certainly they had devoured us all and swallowed quick for all that we could deem or do. If the Lord hadn't been on our side, that's what would have happened to us. God's pressing home on Jonah. Without the shelter of this little tree which I provided, you're now fainting and in great distress and pain and discomfort 
And without the Lord and his mercy surrounding us, boys and girls, that's what life would be like. I want you to know that. I want you to know that. You see these walls here around us? Look at them. What would happen if we took them away? That would fall on your head. The roof. And if the roof fell on your head, at the very least you'd have a headache. And it would be far worse, I'm sure. Well, boys and girls, God has put a wall around his people. And he keeps up off us the hatred of the devil, the anger of the devil, and the anger of the world. He shelters us like a shepherd looks after a flock of sheep and keeps away the wolves and the bear and the lion. That's what God's teaching Jonah. That's what God's teaching Jonah. Oh, remember that little psalm. If that the Lord was not on our side, then would we have been destroyed. And Jonah is learning without the Lord. I'm brought to great distress. There's a wind, an atmosphere in this world that would overwhelm me and cause me to faint. But, and we have to notice this, verse 9, God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry? And he said, I do well to be angry. Even with what he has just passed through, he's still angry. Angry against what God had done. For he knew that behind the little worm there was the hand of God. And he's angry at the hand of God. He's stubborn. Boys and girls, we have hearts and minds that will defy God. That will answer God most improperly. God's question automatically suggests, Jonah, you're wrong. Doest thou well? Are you sure you're right, Jonah? And in his defiance, even though God is plainly indicating, you're not right, Jonah. Your attitude's wrong. But even then, in the face of the plain indication that God is giving him, he says, I did what's right. I was doing well, being angry. That's how we are, boys and girls. We defy God. And if it weren't for his mercy, we would end our lives in that spirit. And where would we then go? Not to heaven, but to a lost eternity. Despite the stubbornness on the part of Jonah, I want you to notice that God explains the design he had in suddenly raising up the gourd and then causing it to wither. God explains that. You know, it's a wonderful thing. The Queen never tells me why she does things. The British government never explains to me its decisions. And even when others like me ask, why did you do this? (laughs) You usually get a gobbledygook answer that tells you nothing. But God's not like that. God in his great mercy condescends, that's a big word, he stoops right down to explain to sinful creatures like us why he does things. And that's what he's doing here for Jonah. He's explaining it. He's setting before Jonah the truth that his attitude regarding the Ninevites whom he would God have destroyed was very different from his attitude toward a wee shrub that a worm had destroyed. He was all concerned about it, but he had no concern about the Ninevites. And God was showing Jonah that his heart wasn't right in this matter. And for that reason, he had done what he had done. I want you just to notice that it says, on a number of occasions in this book, God prepared. In chapter 1, verse 17, it says, 
God prepared a great fish. And then when we come to this chapter in verse 6, we have God prepared a gourd. And then in verse 7, it says God prepared a worm. And then in verse 8, it says God prepared a wind. What does that not tell you? It tells you that God has control over this world and all that's in it. He's control over fish. He's control over plants. He's control over a little thing like a worm. He rules the wind. That's the one you're dealing with. And I'll tell you this, before any of us are very much older, we are going to see more and greater examples of God's control over this earth. In recent times, fires have raged in various parts of the world. Raged to a degree they've never done so before. There have been floods. Floods in Germany, Belgium, floods in England, some floods in Belfast. We sit nice and high up on the hill here, so the floods will hardly reach us. But in many, many parts of the world, it has resulted in the death of hundreds and hundreds of people. The destruction of much property. In other places, there's famine. The sun has been scorching the earth, and no rain has fallen. There's no growth. There's famine. At this very moment, in the Canary Islands, I think I'm correct in my geography, there's a huge volcano and to a degree that hasn't been seen before it's belching out lava belching out lava destroying property as lava rolls down the mountainside I saw a very interesting little video of a house with a big swimming pool the lava crept on and crept on and crept on destroying the house and they came to the swimming pool and the lava came out over the edge of the swimming pool red hot lava into the swimming pool and before you knew it it was boiling the water out of the swimming pool just like a kettle boiling or a saucepan of water boiling that's the way it was in that swimming pool and the lava still kept going on and soon it just filled the pool and the water was gone and it went on that's what God can do and you know the Bible reveals to us that as a signal that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is very near. He's going to shake this earth. And that which men have grown accustomed to for centuries, for millennia, is suddenly going to change in its habits. And men are going to be frightened as God shakes the world. Because he's in control. And it's all a signal that the Lord Jesus will soon return. I hope that you will believe the Bible and you'll not be frightened when these things begin to happen. Because you will say... The Lord is, as it were, knocking at the door. That's why the earth shaking like this. The Lord knocking at the door. He's about to come back. And you'll be excited at the thought and rejoice at the thought. Oh, Jonah, God says, and using various agencies within the world, the fish, the gourd, the worm, the wind, I'm using these things to bring home to you a lesson. The chapter ends without any reference to Jonah's reaction. The last words are the words of the Lord. Verse 11 says, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, and cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? What did Jonah say to that? We're not told. Did Jonah persist in his stubbornness? We're not told here. Did he acknowledge that he was wrong? We're not told here. But I believe Jonah did see 
the error of his ways. He did learn how wrong he was and how right the Lord was in sparing the Ninevites. And the reason I, I say that is found in the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll turn to it just to close. Matthew's Gospel, the chapter 12. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. And the Lord Jesus, if we look at verse 38, is in dispute with those who are his enemies. Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered and said, Master, we would see a sign from thee. What he had said, what he had done, he had healed hundreds and hundreds of people from every form of disease that you could imagine. He had raised the dead. What more sign could you want? But you see, these were old unbelievers. And still they wanted something more of a sign. But the Saviour answered, it says in verse 39, and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall be no sign given to it. When you ask the Lord to do something out of a heart that's not right, and for a reason that is sinful, you'll not get what you want. There'll be no sign given to it, he says, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, that is, rise to condemn this generation, and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Now, I am of the opinion that if Jonah had ended his days still in defiance of God, the Lord wouldn't have mentioned him as he does here. The mention here is one in which Jonah is honoured. Well, I don't think the Lord would have honoured Jonah if Jonah had ended his days stubbornly refusing God's truth. Turn over to chapter 16 of Matthew. And again, he's confronting those who are his enemies. Verse 1, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they want a sign, still more signs, even though time had passed from they had asked in the earlier chapter, the chapter 12, time in which the Lord had done many miracles, but still they're looking for the sign. You see, the blind and wicked heart will never have enough proof from God. It'll just go on, no, that's not enough, I want more proof. And here they are. And they're at the same old theme. They're tempting him. We'll just read from verse 2. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. There's how to know. It's still the same today. If you're going to bed and you look out and the sun is setting and the sky is red, you're going to have a good day the next day. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. But on the other hand, in the morning time, if there's a sort of a red sky and a dullness, well, you know, it's not going to be a good day. And those weather signs are still the same today. Oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? You're surrounded by all the miracles that I have wrought, showing that I am indeed the Messiah, but you can't see it. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall be no sign given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. He's mentioning Jonah again. Now, I did a little research, and I think I'm right in saying 
that Jonah is the only prophet the Lord Jesus refers to twice in his ministry, with the exception of King David. And it wouldn't be surprising that David should get two mentions as well. But Jonah got two mentions. And I don't think any other prophet received that. Many prophets were mentioned or words quoted. But I think I'm right in saying that apart from David, Jonah was the only one that's mentioned twice. Now that's an honour indeed. And what we read in chapter 12 of Matthew indicates that the Lord Jesus placed Jonah in a very high position because he said that Jonah's preaching was like mine only I'm a greater preacher I'm the Lord of glory I'm the Messiah but he said Jonah's preaching was great but a greater than Jonah is here now he's placing Jonah's witness and Jonah's ministry right there beside himself saying that it was of the same spirit the same kind the same nature the same purity as his ministry that's a compliment indeed to Jonah. So, although at the end of the book of Jonah there's no indication just what Jonah's reaction was, by this double reference to Jonah in Matthew's Gospel, I think the Lord is indicating to us here today that in the end Jonah did write, Jonah was restored to full fellowship with me, and I'm honoring him. That's what the Lord was saying there in those two references in Matthew. Oh, boys and girls, It should ever be our desire to so live that the Lord Jesus looks upon us smilingly and honors us. He's going to honor everyone who served him well when we get to heaven. He's going to greet everyone who served him well. And I hope that we're all amongst such. He's going to greet such as serve him well with the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I think he's going to say that and has said that to Jonah. That's the lessons then of Jonah, the testimony of this poor prophet who did some very foolish things, but in the end was restored by the mercy and grace of God. Remember Jonah and the inside story of a down and out. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, bless your word today. Bless your word today, Lord. Let everything that is of thee lodge in the minds of the boys and girls, and that, Lord, which is of me, fall away and be forgotten. Bless our school today, cover it in the precious blood. Remember parents, remember teachers. Lord, remember this work and witness. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.